If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, we're going to look at several things here, I hope. John chapter 6. I'm going to start with one verse, and then we're going to pick up about 75 or 80 of them as we kind of go back and walk through, okay? So keep your Bibles open. We'll be looking back and forth and looking around. But John chapter 6, verse 35 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus made several I am statements as uh, John records for us to demonstrate his divinity. Um, as Lazarus, he called him out of the grave and Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And as he talked to the woman at the well, I'm the living water. Uh, six or seven times throughout John's gospel, he makes these I am statements reflecting the statement that God gave to Moses when Moses asked the question, well, who are you sending me? Uh, I am sending you. And so it's the, the I am. In the Greek, it's the ego I me. It's a very emphatic statement that he uses. But in verse 35, it says, Jesus declared. He's, he's answering some questions. Now, what I want to do is, is go back to the beginning of the chapter. So don't close your Bible. We're going to just kind of be walking and skipping through here, and we're going to read some, and we'll, we'll talk some, and just kind of walk our way through this. But you go back to the first part of chapter 6. Sometime after this, <clears throat> you have to ask some questions. What is this talking about? Well, when you look at the other Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, in addition to John, they, they helped kind of fill in some gaps. So this likely was just a little time after John the Baptist had been beheaded. <clears throat> So Jesus and his disciples needed a little, a little time away to think about, pray about some of these things. You know, some of, sometimes your, your, uh, your getaways don't turn out so, so good. You have interruptions, and even in you need to get away, the phone rings, you got an emergency, calls you back to work, uh, you get family issues, sometimes it doesn't work. Jesus was bumping into that all the time. He wanted to get away, he wanted to go to the mountains, he wanted to go to the, the beach. Hey, somebody needs you, and they, 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 they just crowd around him. So Jesus crossed to the far sea of Galilee. I'm still in the first part of chapter six. And a great crowd fo followed him. And because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Um, if we go back to Matthew and Mark and Luke, he healed, uh, he healed several. And uh, they kept watching this. And they, they were awestruck as they should have been. And Jesus went on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples and then verse 4, it seems kind of out of place, and it says, and the Jewish Passover feast was near. I think what's going on, John is helping us to see in this whole scenario, um, Luke tells us that they were on the mountainside, and he was teaching them. As the crowd came, he began teaching them about the kingdom of God. John doesn't mention that. All he says is the crowd came around. But he does say the Passover feast was near. And it's significant if you do a little bit of reading and research of what happened around the Passover time frame. It's kind of like us. I mean, our Easter is in connection with the Passover. 
And we have things that we do around Easter. We have family plans. We're going to get together. We have egg hunts and we have special meals and we may even have, uh, you know, buy special clothes and there's all sorts of things. Well, the, the Hebrew folks are the same way. Passover is a special time and their history goes back several hundred generations and that they're dealing with this and it's been perpetuated over and over again. So there's a lot of tradition. You think, Baptist churches have tradition. You ain't seen nothing when you look at that. That means it goes back centuries, a tradition. But he says the Jewish Passover feast was near. And so in, in the synagogues and the homes around the Passover time, they would be going back to this Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they would be looking at this from their history, and they would have scripture readings. And a couple of the, the scriptures that they really zeroed in on was the manna that they were fed with, as well as the promise from Moses that another prophet like me from among your people is coming. That resonated with them over and over again. And so keeping that in our, on our back burner, okay, you've got all this back here in, in, the, in, the, in the tradition. So when Jesus looks up, I'm continuing on verse five here. Uh, it says he, looked, he saw this great crowd come in and he said to Philip, how are we going to feed these folks? Where should we buy bread for all these people? And Philip said, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And then another disciple, Andrew, said, well, here's a, a lad, a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, and you know the story, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. It was spring of the year, maybe a day kind of like today. And maybe a little earlier in the spring, but still a nice spring day. And that particular area where they were located had a, had a, a, a large plain. Uh, grass was there as a, a mountain slope. So it's just a, a perfect setting. Have them sit down. And so they counted the men about 5,000. And then Jesus takes these, we call them biscuits or yeast rolls or rolls. And I think about, in my mind, when I was in, uh, in, in high school, we had some, uh, some pretty good cooks at our cafeteria in high school. They, they just had the way to do it. Now, you, you could tell when we were getting ready to have those yeast rolls. And these were giant mushroom-shaped yeast rolls where they would swell out over their little tins and they'd make that mushroom. And we, we did a lot of trading and fighting. Over, we wanted those yeast rolls. And as luck would have it, a couple of the ladies took a liking to me. And when I would come through, they'd say, they couldn't say Stefan. they Stefan, would you like an extra roll? Yes, ma'am. And we'd go sit down. On our table, we had these big, I call them hunks of butter. They were probably the pound blocks. You've seen those pound blocks of butter, and they were soft. Man, good bread. But anyway, we have this, and that, this comes to my mind when I read this story about the bread. Sit, sit down. They counted the men. There was about 5,000. Bless you. 5,000 men plus their families. So you're probably looking at eight, 10,000. Think about Batesville, 
a crowd like Batesville, okay? Eight or 10,000. That's a lot of folks, a lot of bread. So then they find this, this kid with these yeast rolls and two small fish. Now, what do you think about two small fish? I, I used to think about Fred's catfish fillets. Those are pretty good sized fillets. But typically, if, if you look at it, what was going on around the coast of the, of the Sea of Galilee, there were 18 species of fish. It's fresh water. There's carp. There's tilapia, also known as St. Peter's fish. But most of the people ate sardines, little fish, too small fish, because they could be pickled or they could be dried and salted. And that's probably what he had was dried and salted sardines. Two of them. Yuck. My dad used to love sardines. I, he, he never did transfer that to me. I just, I think God intended fish to be fried. But anyway, these are dried fish, not fried fish. But, you know, in my mind, he's, he's taking these out of his little basket and he, he, he lifts, a, a, raises a blessing. Now, there's a traditional blessing, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. He, he might have said this. It says, uh, blessed are you, Yahweh, our God, king of the world, who causes to come forth bread from the earth. And that was a typical Hebrew blessing that they would do either before or after their meal. But anyhow, Jesus blessed. And then he started handing food out to his disciples. And they started handing food out. Imagine you're sitting there. And here they come with this basket, and you saw this little kid, and they got it from here, and he blessed it, and it just, it just keeps coming. Where's it coming from? It's kind of like the magician that pulls the unending ribbon out of his hat. It just keeps coming. But this is not magic. This is, this is not a magic trick. This is reality. The folks were, were eating. And the neat thing is, it said they ate as much as they wanted. That, that's a lot. 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 people. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of fish. Typically very, very, very poor people, as indicated by the barley loaves. Barley was not typically what they would, that's what animals would eat. But poor folks would, they would beat the cows out of the barley, I guess, and they, they would have that. But they had all they wanted. And then it was left over. Twelve basketfuls. You know, we, we, could, we could take a spin on this idea of 12 and the 12 tribes and, and everyone is having what they need, but that's, that's not where I'm headed with all this. But anyway, they, they gathered there, and when the people saw the miraculous sign in verse 14, all that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Remember, they were being taught in the synagogues about the prophet who was to come like Moses. And they were, they were anticipating this. They began to see these miraculous signs. And their messianic expectations were being raised to a fever pitch. They, they were really anticipating this is, this is possibly who we're looking at right here. The problem is it's a it's a political expectation and not a religious and not, not necessarily personal, but it's, it's, it's a political. And so 
After, the, after they saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, this is the prophet. And Jesus, knowing that, that they intended to come and make him a king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Wasn't the right time. And it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, other gospels talk about, John doesn't tell us uh, a lot what's going on, it just says that they came down. But the other gospels tell us that they were, they were getting into this pitch and probably the disciples were getting caught up in this as well. And so Mark tells us that Jesus made the disciples get in. And here it just says the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat. And it was dark. And Jesus hadn't joined them yet because they were, they were moving out into the, into the water, into the lake. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And they had rowed three and a half miles, three or three and a half miles. Well, the Sea of Galilee is seven miles across, so they were about halfway out. Uh, not exactly waiting distance if uh, some would doubt whether Jesus was walking. Well, maybe he was just waiting in the shallows. Uh-uh. He, he was walking. And so... I'd probably be a little fearful too if I saw somebody walking in the night out on the water. But he said in verse 20, it's I, don't be afraid. Well, this is another one of those I am statements. If you look in the, really what he said was, I am, fear not. I am, fear not. And so they took him into the boat. Mark's gospel in chapter 6, verse 52, tells us that, that the reason Jesus got in the boat with them was that they didn't understand about the bread and about what he did over on the shore. And so between the time he got in the boat and we pick it up again, he probably had a pretty good discussion with them about what was going on. And so the next day, the crowd that had stayed over there, they, they were looking for Jesus and then when they found him, verse 25, it says they found him on the other side of the lake. They said, Rabbi, when did you get here? We missed you. How come we couldn't find you? Where did you go? And but he said, you know, Jesus has a way of, of just kind of getting right to the point. He says, I tell you, in verse 26, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous sign, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they ask a, a very revealing question. He said, well, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And we could, we could read that a couple of ways. We could read it, well, what is it we have to do? Or what do we have to do? Think about the, the time span. It was about 10 or 11 generations since the giving of the law. And when you have 10 generations of legalism, that's just how you think. And so Jesus is addressing here the, the legalism when he, when he says, you're, you're looking for food, but don't work for this food that's going to spoil. And what they picked up on was not the eternal life. What they were picking up on and their thinking was, okay, work, work, work. We've got to, we've got to do something in the law. We've, we've got to do something here to earn this. We've got to do something to pick this up. Jesus is 
cutting the legs out from under their legalism is what he's doing. And it's not, there's not a legalistic way. But he says, and here's the definition, he says, the work of God is this. This is the work. It's not going to church, not going to synagogue, not memorizing 37 verses by heart. It's not having, you know, 15 years of perfect Sunday school attendance, all as good as those things are. But the work of God is this, is to believe in the one he sent. That's the work we're talking. That's the work he wants to focus on. And so Jesus now begins to, and I'm using the term, hammer it in. Of course, he was, I don't know if he would use that term or not. But several times he keeps saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread. You are focused in here on what Moses did. You're focused in on the promise of Moses. And you're missing my point. You're missing my, it's, it's not what, what the law is. It's not what Moses has done or is going to do. So they said, okay, if after he says in verse 29, the work of God is to believe in the one he sent. So they said, okay, well, so what miraculous sign are you going to give us? He said, is to believe. They're wanting a sign. And they've already had a sign. The, the main sign was the, was the breaking and a miraculous distribution of the food and the bread and the fish. And the leftover. They had all that they wanted. And so they're, they're really focused in on gratification of, of my desires. I want some more of that free food. I want some more of those, uh, that fish. I can't, I can't really believe it was that tasty. Except for the bread part, maybe. The dried fish just doesn't appeal to me. But you know what? If, if, you, if a person is hungry and they're poverty-stricken, which is likely where we are with this, that would be a good deal. That would be a very tempting, a very tantalizing prospect to have someone who would give us all we need to eat without us having to go out and kill ourselves to have this. And so it was very appealing to them. So what are you going to do? And then they say in, in verse 30, well, our, our 31, our, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert and he gave them bread from heaven. And the teaching of the rabbis were saying that again with the Messiah coming, it's going to be more bread from heaven. Just like what Moses did for our forefathers, the Messiah is going to bring us bread from heaven as well as getting rid of the Romans. That's really what they wanted. Get rid of the Romans. Let us get our own stuff here. That's what they were looking for. And Jesus had to correct their theology, their, or their interpretation anyway. In verse 32, he says, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. That's interesting. Our translations... Um, put in the, the bread of God is he who comes. The Greek doesn't have that. The Greek says it is that which comes. It is referring to Jesus, but it makes more sense when you understand what the Greek is saying when Jesus declared he is helping them to understand that that which comes from heaven and gives life to the world they were still thinking materialistically in verse 34. They said, from now on, give us this bread. Keep giving us this bread. If we interrupt this thought and go back to John 4, the woman at the well said something very similar. She said, sir, from now on, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming over here. 
Similar thinking, similar ideas. Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. The I am, the ego I me. I am the bread of life. And he says, he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes will never be thirsty. That was a big deal to these folks. Hunger and thirst. They were living on the brink. Starvation, hunger. We, we have folks in our, in our community. Uh, if you've ever need an eye opener, go, go do a little volunteering with our father's table and see who comes for the free food and who comes for the, the, the necessities there. And they come and they eat and they'll take some home. And you see them coming every week. They, they are, um, they're, they're short on the food and they, they look for that food. They, they want that food. But Jesus says, I'm this food. As they kept saying, well, give us this bread and this fish. And so, because it's Passover, I'll go back to verse four. Passover feast was near. And all the, all the teaching and all, the, all the, uh, the Bible readings, all the talk was connected to the Passover and what's going on. So Jesus is making a very, a very big point about Passover and about bread. Bread was a very important part of the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. As, as Jesus demonstrated later, the broken body is the bread and his blood is the wine and the, the, the metaphors that he used there. And they're very, very powerful. He said, he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes will never be thirsty. And I told you, and you've seen me. In other words, I've demonstrated that with the division and the multiplication of the bread and the fish. And you're still looking for other signs. What, what more do you want? I'm the bread. I'm the bread. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven to do not my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, we also get in here a little indication of the uniqueness of his relationship with the Father. And, and if, if we did some some looking at, at the Trinity and, and this relationship, we have two different wills. We have the Father's will, <clears throat> and Jesus said, my will, my will is to do his will. There is this uh, distinct, the two distinct wills going on here. So we, we do have the, the unique divinity of the Godhead that is here, but we have two separate persons, God's will and my will. In the garden later, Jesus says, not my will be done, but what? Yours be done giving us indication that there is this, this struggle with the reality of the will and, and what's going on with this. And so he says, it's not, uh, it's, I come down to do the will of him who sent me. So it's my father's will and my will is going to be with him. I'm going to unite my will with him and he is the one who sent me. Do you send yourself? No, you send another. And this is the will, that I shall lose none. So there is the promise of everlasting life. He says, but I will raise him up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, the Father and the Son, and believes in him, the Son shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And just like the folks in Moses' day, the Jews, it says in 41, began to grumble. They grumbled at Moses, they grumbled at Aaron, they grumbled at Mary, they grumbled. And God dealt with them because of that. 
Jesus says, I'm the bread. How can, they said, how can he say, I'm the bread that came down from heaven? After all, we know Joseph, and in fact, we know his mom and dad. How's he saying he's coming down from heaven? So Jesus is answering them in verse 43. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As it's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. We're looking at, at something other than just a mental assent that God exists. When Jesus says, he who, the Father draws, he who believes, that there is a, a personal invitation here to come and to, to be connected and be related to Heavenly Father through the agency of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's more than just affirming, okay, yeah, I believe in God. James says, the devil's in hell. They, they know that. So if someone, just because someone says, I believe there's a God, okay, so you've got the faith of the devils. That's not necessarily a saving faith. And so Jesus is trying to, to get through their legalism, to get through the materialism, to get through the, 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 the dogmatism of just a mental ascent to a personal encounter with the living God. I'm the bread. You don't live without food. You don't live without the bread. And so he's making a very poignant relation, uh, a metaphor here about the bread. Stop grumbling. No one can come unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me, and no one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. I tell you the truth, he who believes has, present tense, not you believe now and you'll have everlasting life when you die and go to, he says you'll have it now. When that belief happens, when we come to the point, when the Holy Spirit has moved on our hearts and we recognize that I'm in trouble and it's only in relationship with God through Jesus Christ that I'm able to have peace, I'm able to have life. And we, at that point, we, we embrace the invitation to come. Eternal life is there. Again, he says, I'm the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert and they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven. I'm, I'm thinking he's saying, you know, he, when he makes this reference, your forefathers ate this manna. But here, and he touches him, here, here is the bread. Here is the bread. I am the bread. And he's making a very personal application. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, he started something. Look in 52. Then the Jews began to argue, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Whoa. That was not only hard to grasp, but that was offensive to the Jews. They did not eat any meat with blood in it. They would not drink blood as some of the pagans around would do. But God had told them in the Old Testament, he's telling, you don't do that. And so for Jesus to come and say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, 
That, that was a brick in the face. What was he saying? What did he mean by that? This is the bread. Deuteronomy verse 57. For as the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died. He who feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue. So they had moved from the lake. They were in the synagogue at Capernaum. He was teaching them. And he was confronting the rabbis and their teaching with what was going on. And he says, I'm, I'm going to move down here to verse uh, 60. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Another reference to his preexistence. If you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, making reference to his relationship with the Father. He helps us to understand, he says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. So he's, he's using metaphor. He's using the spiritual application. Sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're trying to explain um, some things, I, I remember when uh, we were working with algebra and and with chemistry in school. And you could tell when you're, when you're working with either the quadratic equations or you're trying to, you're trying to uh, do the, 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 the transfer of, of chemical reactions and you look at the student, does this make sense? It just glances off. And I get that. I get that. There are those who are extremely brilliant and they have all this stuff, but to communicate it in such a way, some, some folks don't have that. And some who don't have all the brilliance, but they have the communication ability that can explain things in a great way. And so Jesus is, is trying to help them understand with his, his, his multiplication and division of the bread, with his statements about being the bread, He's, he's, he's previewing what's coming down the road with his experience as the perfect sacrificial lamb at the Passover at the right time. Trying to help us, help them understand what's going on. He says, it's a hard saying. Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken are spirit and they are life. Again, he's not given us something to accept intellectually to simply say, okay, Jesus is son of God. Okay, he's savior. But to feed on him, to feed on his flesh, to feed on the, the blood metaphorically is to assimilate all that he is offering us. We take in his words. What, what happens if when you're you're just, at, a, at the end of the day, you, you've worked and worked and worked, and you're starving. And you come in, what's for supper? Cotton candy. What? What happens when you put cotton candy in your mouth? It's gone. I, I, I heard some, I didn't see this, but I heard some, some folks who had a pet raccoon, and they would give that pet raccoon some cotton candy. 
What do raccoons do? Put a little in a dish of water. Oh, where'd he go? Give him some more. Oh, where'd he, where'd he go? When we take in that which is not living bread, we're just like those coons. Where'd he go? There's nothing left. There's nothing there. We're trying to feed on cotton candy. Jesus is giving us himself in personal relationship. It's an invitation to come to life. The living Father has granted me, Jesus says, life to give. And those who believe, we, we use that term believe in a, in a very loose way. We say, well, I believe I'll go down to Sonic and get me a soda. We could say, I think, I will, I reckon, I'll go. But when Jesus is using the, the word, that is, the, the term for belief has to do with, with placing all of, our, all of our faith, all that we are, all of our life in his hands. The same idea in, in Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, he lists three things. First one is what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Self-denial. We don't like that. We don't do that very well, do we? We, we like to feed self. We like to honor King me because he's pretty powerful. <clears throat> he's on the throne and he calls the shots. But when we take him off that throne and we allow Jesus to be the king of our lives, it's a whole different scenario. At that point, we have life. At that point, there's meaning. At that point, there's peace. At that point, there's purpose. At that point, there is this special encounter relationship that we have with a heavenly father who's loved us and has sent his son for us. No one else can do that. If we substitute anything else, regardless of how good it is, it's just like that cotton candy. It's not, it just disappears. There's no substance to it. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You had the, the, the crowd came and the Jews in the crowd grumbled. Jesus gives the demonstration or this explanation of, of eating and drinking his flesh and his blood. And they grumbled, even his disciples, verse 61, aware that his disciples were grumbling. So you have the crowd, the Jews, they were grumbling. The disciples are grumbling. Verse 66, it said, many of his disciples had turned back and were no longer following him. And then he turns to the 12 that he had chosen out of that crew of, and he turns to his 12 and he says, do you want to leave too? Notice what loudmouth Peter says. I like Peter. Most of the time. Simon Peter in verse 68 says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. So Peter just kind of puts it in a, in a nutshell for us. Where, where, where can we go? If we go anywhere else, it's all cotton candy. There's all kind of counterfeits. It just won't work. It, it's not the same. They may look, smell, act, feel, whatever, but it's not the real deal. I offered Miss Melissa a cubic zirconium when we talked about getting married instead of a diamond. You notice on her hand, there's nothing there. She wasn't having it. She said, if I can't have that, I don't want one. She hadn't got one. 
It looks just like a diamond. It wears just like a diamond. But it's not a diamond. We have a lot of counterfeits. And, and a lot of things can be extremely, extremely, extremely close. There, there's a lot of uh, talk um, about artificial intelligence. And the thing that really amazes me is, is how that they're trying to counterfeit the reality of, of, of relationship with, with God through Jesus because the, the focus on the artificial intelligence right now, it really is dangerous. They're trying to convince us and move to a place where they say, you can take all that you are, your brain power, your intelligence, your personality, and you can upload that to the cloud and you'll live forever. Hebrew word for that is hogwash. <laughs> it's a counterfeit. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Peter said, where can we go? You have the words. Of, you're the Holy One of God. You have life. What about you? Where is, where is your confidence? Where is your hope? You know, if we're, if we're focusing in on just trying to, to, to get by, if we're trying to just uh, uh, move along without Christ, without relationship, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. This is not just, as I'm, I'm beating myself here, but let me say one more time. This is not just an intellectual assent that God is. But the invitation is to come into relationship, to connect personally with a personal God. It's, it's not a do these things, the legalism. There's, there's plenty of those out there. You, you chant so many mantras so many times a day. You climb so many stairs. You crawl so far on your hands and knees and you suffer so long and you, you pay so much money. All those things are out there. That's legalism. If you have to obey all the Ten Commandments. If you break a Ten Commandments, you've got to start over again because you lose your salvation. That, that's legalism. Peter said, where should we go? You have the words of life. I'm assuming that many of you have, you've already made that decision. You've already, you're here. You're worshiping. I don't, I'm, you, know, you wouldn't come and sing praises. You wouldn't come and read the word if there wasn't something there. But some may be questioning. Some may be looking. You know, I don't know your heart. God knows your heart. Sometimes you, you can fool me pretty easy. I've, I've been fooled a lot of times. You can't fool God. He, you know, the, the, the spirit is perceptive to the point where spirit and soul meet, wherever that is. And all that's, you know, all that's saying is that God knows all that there is to know about us. The deep, dark secrets that nobody else knows, it's as plain as day to him. Nothing's hidden. Everything is revealed. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me 
I will no wise cast out. Even his disciples got caught up thinking that, well, maybe it's political. We can get caught up in political stuff. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of hooey. All that stuff is political stuff. We can, we can get all wrapped up in all that. But when, when we take the truth of God's word and when we take in Jesus as bread, that means that we are hungering and thirsting not just for bread and fish, as good as those things are, but we're hungering and thirsting for the real relationship that he offers us in connection with him. Not a counterfeit, not a, subs- not, not a, not a legalistic working our way. We can't work for it. He's providing for us because we cannot will not be able to provide for ourselves. In our day-to-day life, just like you get up this morning, and I know some of you are not breakfast eaters, but some of you are. I know most of you are dinner supper eaters, but you, you probably don't go a day without eating sometimes something throughout the day. The old body lets you know, I'm hungry, and you, you got to take care of the old body. Some of us overdo it at times. I understand all that. I'm not going there. But we, gotta, we have to eat. We have to feed, and that energizes us and enables us to do whatever we got to do. What is it that energizes us and enables us to do the work of the kingdom? It's as we feed on him, the bread of life. He says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And the words we have preserved for us. If we don't spend some time in the Word, with the Word, learning the Word, applying the Word, we're missing out. And it may even be off track. What's God saying to you this day, this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word that you've given to us. Thank you for opportunity to share. Thank you for opportunity to listen and to learn. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the needs this morning, and I pray that you would enable and encourage and empower each one to, to, to move as you so direct. I would give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand, Brother Logan. Come and lead us in our closing hymn. If you are needing to make a, a statement, a move, you come. This invitation is for you.